This is the Plucked Chicken Podcast. I have the pleasure once again of being joined in studio by Pastor Ben Oakry. Pastor Oakry, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Instead of listening to an American evangelical wax the elephant, so to speak, on baptism, we are going to hear five different evangelicals use the exact same analogy. It is the analogy that so many American evangelicals use to describe what baptism is. Even though this analogy is not found anywhere in Scripture, they use it again and again and again. So we're going to listen to it together and see what you think. And before we do, let's take a listen to this. Wait. There are markings. It's some form of elvish. I can't read it. There are few who can. The language is that of Mordor, which I will not utter here. Mordor? In the common tongue, it says one ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all. And in the darkness, find them. This is the one ring. Today is just a special day in the life of our church. We are excited about this. Uh, I, I am, I'm not only excited about what God is doing here at Freedom Family Church, but I'm also saddened uh, because I have talked to pastors uh, in our area, talked to pastors all over uh, North America, and there are churches that have not had a baptism in decades. Their baptism doesn't even work. Their baptism pool doesn't even work. Well, we've solved that because we just have a tub, right? And so I don't know if there's any way we could break this. If there is, I'm sure we'll figure it out. So, uh, but you are probably in on something unique. Uh, I would say over 10,000 churches to, uh, today are not doing baptism. So you are a part of something special. Uh, but today, as you look in your Bible, Luke chapter 3, before I'm going to get to Luke chapter 3. Uh, but before we do, why don't we start off with this simple fact? Why don't we start off with the simple fact, and that is this. God loves to give us outward symbols to reveal inner realities. God loves to give us outward symbols to reveal inner realities. You're saying, what do you mean by that? Well, we see it in John 10, 9. Jesus said, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. You're saying, what in the world is that? Well, when Jesus said that to those people, go ahead and put the picture up. This is what they thought of. What they did back in biblical times for their sheep is they built a low wall around the pasture so that the sheep would be safe from the wild animals, the wolves, the bears, and such. And then they built this gate in that if the bait was closed, you couldn't get in. If the bait was open, you could. And what Jesus was saying to the people is, hey, I am the way to heaven. The gate and, and the pasture, it, it is a, a symbol of heaven. And if you want to get to heaven, you got to go through me. And so that was what he was talking about. Now, let me ask you questions. This is because there may be some of you that may be confused here. Did Jesus literally become a gate? Did he transform into that metal thing that you see there or some wooden gate? No, he didn't become a gate. He was, he was saying, I am symbolically a gate. He was talking about a symbol. I, I think of uh, Brian and Brittany that just got married. They, they gave each other a wedding ring kind of like I have here today. Guess what? This wedding ring does not save me or marry me, right? This wedding ring is nothing but a symbol. So if I lose this wedding ring, which I have, 
Lost it yesterday, and I'm sitting there going, I need to find that because I'm going to be using that in my sermon illustration today. And, and, and if I lose this wedding ring, does that mean I'm not married? No. Ask Jennifer, she'll tell you no, right? She does, that, means, that doesn't mean I'm free to do what I want, right? It's just a symbol. Well, God has always loved to use outward symbols to reveal to us what he loves to do on the inside of us. All right, so Pastor Oakry, that is the first one that we have listened to, Randy Hand there in North Carolina, who is just making a passing glance that the wedding ring is nothing but a symbol, and thus your baptism is too. What do you think about that? So his whole argument is that God loves outward symbols to point to inner reality. Right. The wedding ring is a, is a fine way of kind of talking about that, but then... He talks about the gate, and the gate, there's no symbol. There's no outward symbol there. He's actually using an analogy. He's using figurative language, and and we know that. Like, obviously, Jesus isn't a, a gate to a pen. And so we know that he's using, and, and we all know what figurative language is, you know, a simile um, or, or a uh, metaphor. And all men are dogs. That's a metaphor. When I say that, you don't think I'm actually saying what I'm saying. You're seeing the the language behind it. And we do that with uh, Jesus' words as well. Uh, When it's obvious that that's what he's doing. And this is an obvious metaphor. And so the the two things that he uses there, man, he doesn't understand. As far as I can tell, he doesn't understand what he's talking about. (laughs) Because... Those two things are completely different. I guess the point is is that they don't understand the intricacies of language to put those two things up to each other. And then what I'm assuming is going to happen, because he, he said my wedding ring doesn't save me, is he's going to make the, uh, make the connection over to baptism, right? Baptism as an outward symbol of something that saves you. He does, but... We're not going to listen to him make that connection. That's fine. Because we're going to go on to another guy who is going to use the wedding ring analogy yet again. Hey, I want to say thank you for checking out this video. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor at Cross Point Church in Anaheim, California. And today I want to talk to you about baptism. I want to talk to you about what it means and why you should be baptized. Now, baptism is the outward symbol of an inward commitment. See, it's kind of like my wedding ring. If I were to take my wedding ring off right now, am I still married? Yes, of course I am. See, this wedding ring, putting it on my hand, doesn't make me married. What makes me married is the fact that June 5th, 1999, Kansas City, Missouri, Blue Ridge Baptist Temple, I went down the aisle, I looked my wife in the face, and I said, I do. That's what makes me married. And what this is, is it's a symbol of that commitment that I make. So when I put this ring on, I'm essentially telling all you other ladies out there, hey, stay away from me because I'm happily in love with my wife. And that's what baptism is, is it's this outward symbol of this inward commitment. You say, what's the inward commitment? That's when you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin and take full control of your life. That's when you declare him the boss, the coach, and the CEO of your life. And then after you've done that, the Bible says those that believed were then baptized. Man, this is the next step in your spiritual faith. It's to get baptized. It's to do this outward symbol 
I believe it's an incredible outward expression of this inward commitment because what you're essentially doing is you're having this fresh start in Jesus Christ. And I say, why should I get baptized? Because Mark chapter one and verse nine tells us that Jesus was baptized. And if Jesus, the Son of God, was baptized, I believe that that's a great example for us to be baptized as well. In Matthew 28, Jesus said that we are to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we want to challenge you, if you've never taken this step, to get baptized. Man, it's a symbol of a, a new beginning, a reboot, a, a fresh start. It's the picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, when you get baptized, we're gonna take you under the water, and that is a symbol of your being buried, of dying to your sin, yourself, and your stuff, and being raised up again into a new life in Jesus Christ. I believe that it's one of the greatest decisions that you can ever make in your life. So if you're looking for a fresh start, if you're looking for a new beginning, if you're looking for a reboot, I wanna challenge you to sign up and I wanna challenge you to take the plunge and get baptized. How special is that? Who's looking for a reboot? Oh. Aren't we all looking for a reboot? I love the re-re-re stuff. I mean, and, and it's, not, it's not horrible because of course we do need to be reborn. And mm -hmm. so there's a connection there. And so it's not bad, but it's always just re-re-re. I, I love how we're, we're dying to our stuff. I mean, we're dying to our love of stuff. Right? Money isn't the root of all evil. Love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, and I would imagine that this guy, baptized though he is, uh, his, his stuff is not dead to him. <laughs> He's uh, uh, probably still deeply immersed in the stuffness. And that's okay because those are good gifts of God to us. It's just when we start to love the stuff more than the, the giver of the stuff. But I heard symbol, the word symbol. Repeatedly. Four times at yeah. least. Yeah. Go to your Bible and look. And when the Bible talks about what baptism is, it never uses that symbol or sign or picture or any of that. It just is. Be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. When you have been baptized into Christ Jesus, you are baptized into his death. And it doesn't say that symbolically. You, you, you really did. Now, that's a challenge, right? Because you can sit there and say, well, I didn't actually die. Physically, yes, that is correct. But you were born dead in your sins and your trespasses. Yeah. So this is the means in which one receives the new life. Right. It's it, yeah. It's a means of grace, and and all and if all you can say is that it's it's a symbol, then it's it's frivolous, and then you're left doing what this guy's doing, which is one. Okay, it's commanded, so you better do it because it's commanded, and and. That's been the theme that I've seen across the board here is it's commanded, you better do it. The other thing he did was, well, and Christ gave us the, an example of baptism by getting himself baptized. Well, first off, Jesus never said, follow my example here in baptism. His baptism was very different than our baptism. Even in his baptism, it wasn't just demonstrative as to what we should do because after he came up out of the waters, the heavens were ripped apart and the holy dove came down upon him. Um, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were present there. His baptism was more than just a, a demonstration to us. And then if we use Christ as an example too much, and, and, and I think he pushed it too far, 
because you say, well, if Jesus did it, and that's a really good example to us, and we should follow after him simply because he did it, well, Jesus did a couple of other things that, as Christians, we should rightfully be reluctant to follow after him, uh, namely uh, being falsely accused, imprisoned, tortured, and then finally crucified. We may be called to die for our faith, of course, but that's not an example that we're fully called to implement in each of our lives. It's a, it's a, see, that's the strange thing about Christ as example. You, you, you pick and choose the examples that you want. So the first guy was from North Carolina. Okay. The second guy was from California. So you see clearly how this analogy goes all the way across the country, but those two are not the only ones. And there's a lot of Christians. You have not been baptized. And we, we haven't because maybe we don't understand or nobody's explained. So let's talk about this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. What is baptism? Why is it a big deal? What is it? And so here's, here's what it is. Baptism is uh, nowadays, it's a churchy term, right? Nobody baptizes anything other than like at church, people get baptized. But baptism was never intended to be a churchy word. Here's literally what it means. Look at this with me. The word baptize comes from the word baptizo, Baptizo. On three, let's everybody say baptizo. One, two, three. Baptizo. Baptizo. Here's what it means. It simply means to dip or immerse. To dip or immerse. So an original use of the word baptizo would look like this. Let's say you had a garment that you wanted to dye red. You would first baptizo this garment into bleach to remove any coloration from it. And then you would take that garment and you would baptizo it in some red dye, thus changing the color. That's all that the word means. However, when we start looking at it through the lens of Scripture, what an incredible picture that in our life, when we have put our faith and trust in Jesus, we get baptized. If you think about that garment being cleansed in the bleach, then being dipped in the red dye, it is changing colors. That in our life, when we get baptized, there is a change. My intention was not to interrupt the pastor who was talking about this because he is eventually going to mention the ring analogy. But I could totally get behind what he's saying right there. When you are baptized, there is a change? Right. Yeah. No, that's, that is correct. The dead is made alive, and the blind is, are given sight, and the enemies of God are made uh, members of God's family. This is where the adoption happens. And so if the pastor were to say something like that, then it makes baptism appealing. It makes somebody to say, this is what I want to do because that is what I need. And if God is giving me this, then why wouldn't I be baptized? Right. Well, this is the problem we talked about uh in a previous podcast where if all you have is command and you don't have promise, baptism is a very challenging thing. And it seems pretty clear to me across the board as we've listened to these sermons, they're having a hard time getting members baptized. That's very strange to me because having non-baptized members of my church is basically a non-issue for me. And I'm assuming it's a non-issue for you, for you all. If they're there and they're coming to church you're either in talks to get them into classes to be baptized, uh, you know, to come through and become members, and part of that membership is to be baptized. I and mean, it's just like we're not there trying to convince anybody. We're just saying, oh, no, if you're going to be a part of this church and a part of this faith, baptism is something you're going to do. But you have to remember that what we're listening to are non-denominational church pastors. Sure. The people that they garner— even though there's a small percentage of people who 
have never heard the Christian faith. The bulk of the people who bring the growth and the quote-unquote success are people who were baptized as children, who were raised as Lutheran, Catholic, Episcopalian, Methodist. That's who's bringing the growth to their church. It's not non-Christians. Right. And it's it's sad, though, that these people are are in their own minds. They, they think that they weren't really Christians before. That's right. And that their baptisms don't count. That's right. But as we've said, these baptisms don't count either by their own accounting, right? There's just, it's just an act of obedience. You can slip it on and off like a ring. It doesn't mean you're not a believer. And see, I, f- I feel like they get themselves into the sketch 22 where it's like, you really, really have to get baptized because Jesus commands it. But baptism is completely inconsequential to who you are as a Christian, too. They, they have to say both things at the same time. Okay, but what they say is your parents making the decision for you when you were a child, that doesn't cut it. No. The sacrament is your decision. But the, the problem still remains that I come back to those waters and get rebaptized. It's my decision. Like, oh, we were pressured by your parents. Well, the pastor's pressuring them here. Pressure is not a bad thing in and of itself. I, I encourage people to get baptized because it is. It's good for you. It's, it's, uh, it's not bad to be pressured into something that's good for you. Did you make the decision to be vaccinated when you were a baby? No. No, your parents made yeah, that for cause you. Because they love me and they right. wanted me to have the benefits of that. There's no benefit in baptism. That's the problem. There's no benefit in baptism, but you really have to do it. And I, I could imagine a lot of people in the congregation scratching their head. I I know pastor really wants me to get baptized. But then as they're thinking about it in their embarrassment or their pride, uh, they think to themselves, well, but he he also just said it doesn't make me not a Christian. So I guess I'm okay maybe just sitting here, which I think is how they get stuck. That's why he's so sad that there's Christians that aren't baptized. Whereas for us, of course, we do have instruction, which he doesn't. Um, Most evangelical churches don't. You just raise your hand and come forward and get baptized and that's it and we have some instruction to help guide people through that again baptism isn't a problem for us because we just take it as part of our christian life and we see it as more than just a command which means we can talk to people about it in a much more affirming way you are changed and i can tell you exactly how you're changed and this matters they have none of that they don't there is a change being announced in our life and so Baptism is never meant to be churchy. Like you could literally today, you could go and get some lunch, get you some French fries, and you can baptize your fries, okay? You can literally do that. Go get you some ketchup so you can dunk, dip, or immerse your fries. That's all that the word means. But it carries with it so much significance. And that's what I want you to to take away from today. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Here's what baptism is. We're going to look at three things that baptism is. The first is this. Baptism is a symbol. It's a symbol. It represents a lot of different things, and two of the most powerful of this. It's a symbol of our relationship with Jesus. If you think about it, those of us that are married, we we wear a symbol. I have a symbol on my hand. It's my wedding ring. Now, I understand there's some folks that you can't wear a wedding ring for various reasons or your job. I get that. I'm not knocking that. But could you imagine... 
Could you imagine if on June 6, 1998, when I made a commitment to my wife and a commitment to the Lord and we got married, could you imagine if I said, I love you, I want to marry you, but I don't really want to wear that ring because I don't want anybody to know that we're married. Ladies, how would that go? You'd be like, well, we're stopping this right now. I mean, you, you put your foot down. Why would I not want other people to know that I am married to my, my beautiful bride? See, baptism is a symbol of a relationship. And when we get baptized, what we're doing is we're symbolizing our relationship with Jesus Christ. Think of baptism for just a moment. If you've ever witnessed a baptism, you've seen a, an individual that has made a commitment to Jesus and they get lowered under the water. And that is symbolic of our dying to our sins, dying to ourself, and they're brought up out of the water, symbolizing our new life in Jesus Christ. It's also symbolic of the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And so it's symbolic of that, symbolic of our relationships. All right, this guy is going to go into another analogy here for just a moment. But it's just symbolic of my new relationship with Jesus? If I don't get a new relationship with Jesus through baptism, then why go to the trouble? Because God commands it, and that's it. I mean, and so you're going steady with Jesus now, and just like it would be offensive to your wife for you not to wear your wedding ring, barring the guys that can't. I'm not trying to pick on you, right? I always love that. But it offends. It, so he's just saying it's offensive to, to Jesus that you're not showing that you're in a relationship. So it's like non-baptized Christians are are on the are on the down low, right? We're just I mean, we're together. I just don't want anybody to know. Which is preposterous cuz these people are in church. Like you think people don't know? Like which is which is in and of itself maybe a, a strange view of church and when you're very kind of focused on bringing people in uh, I guess your assumption is you've got a lot of people there that are seekers or whatever the the buzzword is for people who came from another another denomination, right? <laughs> but uh, are now at my church and and I'm trying to convince them to join my church. You know, when I'm preaching to my congregation, I I'm assuming that I am largely preaching to uh, baptized people that are under my care, my pastoral care, and honestly, my preaching suffers when I lose sight of that. Um, I remember in seminary, I, was, I, I had a tendency to sometimes uh, write a sermon that treated them like unbelievers. And some of my professors would point that out. They're like, your congregation aren't simply rank unbelievers. <laughs> Don't put them in that category. Sin is still a problem in their lives, but their problems aren't the same as uh, what, a, what a non-believer would be. And, and I thought that was very helpful to me, and I always like to focus it. Because, again, when I'm preaching, I'm preaching to my flock. I'm preaching to the people that are actually under my care. Visitors, I'm, I'm, I love having visitors in my church, but on Sunday morning, am I preaching to them? Not really, which is, I think, probably a, a different take than what uh, this school of thought would have in general. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just a, a symbol. And... You have to show your relationship with Christ. I, the, the problem here is this. I go and I get wet and I come out again and I dry off. And how does anybody know that I was baptized? My wedding ring stays on me and it tells the world, just like the second guy said, ladies, I'm taken. And <laughs> believe me, I need it. I, I also have a stick. 
Yeah, my wife appreciates me having my wedding ring on. So confession time, I've lost two wedding rings already in my life. Um, I'm, I'm already bad at this symbol thing. But I mean, I guess that's the neat thing, right? Because you can just replace a wedding ring and it's fine. However, and I guess the Baptist would say, well, if you feel like you're, if you feel like you need to demonstrate that relationship a little more, just come back to the waters, be rebaptized, and 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 redrench. But again, I can't. I'm not walking down the street and I look at somebody and go, oh, they're baptized. Like, where do you look on the person to see if they're baptized? There's nowhere to look. Whereas sometimes I'll be like, I wonder if that guy, I wonder if that guy's married or not, and I'll be like. I'll look at his his finger and I'll be like, oh, there's a ring there. That's it. It's not proof positive, but you kind of like make those assumptions. And so, again, if if baptism is an outward symbol that we're in a in a long term relationship with Jesus, it's a lousy symbol because it doesn't actually do what it's supposed to do. It doesn't proclaim anything. Another thing that it's symbolic of is it's symbolic that we're it's symbolizing the connection that we have with other believers. Anybody ever play sports growing up as a kid? You ever play sports? Anybody play sports like, uh, like high school? Remember the day that like, you had to try out for the team? And remember the day when you made the team? Like you went to the list and you found your name and you're like, yes. And then there was the day they passed out the jerseys. It's a good day, wasn't it? See, imagine getting on the team but not wanting to wear the jersey. That would be crazy. Like, hey, I really want to play. I'm actually pretty good, but I don't want to wear the jersey. But like, well, you ain't playing on the team. I want you to know baptism is like putting on the jersey that says I'm on team Jesus. That's the team that I'm on. It's a symbol. It's a symbol. Now, can I take this ring off? If I take this ring off, does it mean I'm no longer married? No, I'm still married. It is a symbol. Now, I could give this ring to a single guy and say, put it on. Does it make him married? No. It is simply telling the world that there is a relationship in my life that is significant and I want you to know. Pastor Ogre, I want to be on team Jesus. Right. So their core argument is outward signs that show an inner truth. Baptism isn't a sign. It's a it's an action. It's a thing that happens to you that God himself does. Well, right. But even in their own thinking, which is it's a human act, it doesn't proclaim anything. It's, it's not like a jersey, which tells people I'm on the team. It's not like a ring, which tells people I'm married because no one can just look at me and say, Oh, he's wearing a jersey, and so he's on the team. Oh, he's got the wedding ring, he's married. Oh, he's baptized. How do you tell? All I'm saying is it's categorically different. And so while this analogy on its surface sounds good, and obviously it sounds good to these folks because they all use it, (laughs) it doesn't actually line up to be a useful picture at all, even of what they're trying to say. Well, clearly he's not connecting the dots simply because... The wedding ring analogy is found nowhere in the scriptures. Well, that in and of itself is the problem. Again, going back to seminary, I had a tendency to use analogies that weren't biblical. And and I remember talking to different pastors. And in fact, I think even Pastor Lang here at one point, I said, well, well what analogy should I use? And he was always like, use a biblical analogy <laughs> because... The Bible's full of analogies. Why are you trying to reinvent the wheel? Use the analogy of Scripture. They're digging into that a little bit when they're talking about how it symbolizes dying to self and living to God and how it symbolizes Jesus' own death and resurrection. But again, when you go to the text they're talking about, which is really the Romans text, the Romans text is saying this 
kills me and it makes me alive. God is working through this to bring the cross and lay it on me directly. It's not a symbol. It's a truth. It's like receiving medicine. Medicine isn't symbolic, although you could think that, oh, I'm taking this pill and this is a symbol of my wellness and I take it and I do feel better. Oh, that symbol is really powerful. No, it was actually doing something for you. It was an antibiotic. It was cleaning up the infection, all of those things. Baptism actually does what it says it does. But wouldn't you say that the evangelical has a hard time understanding what Pentecost means and the coming of the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit is the one who delivers these goods to you, to the sinner. Well, what they get wrapped up in is they get wrapped up in the wind and the flames and the speaking in different languages. That is a sideshow. All you can think from that, even from the text itself, is say that you can either marvel at it or you can say, ah, they're drunk. The actual thing that converted people on that day, on Pentecost Day, was, was Peter preaching. And what did he preach? He preached the word. He preached the Old Testament. And he preached law and gospel. And he said, uh, and then they said, what can we do to be saved? Oh, my goodness. They were convicted by the word. And he said, what can we do? And, and he should have said, nothing. You, you, you are convicted of your sin. You believe. That's fine. Now, now come show your commitment to that through baptism. But he says, what shall we do? And he says, come and receive the goods. Be baptized. Because the Holy Spirit ties himself to those waters of baptism. Yeah, he ties himself to the word. He ties himself to the baptism. He ties himself to the bread and the wine in the Lord's Supper. Well, let's listen to yet another pastor use the wedding ring analogy. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Stephen Dupree, community pastor at Ignite Church, here with uh, Jason. Hey, guys. Lead pastor of Ignite, and uh, we are um, having conversations to help one another be fully devoted followers of Christ. Mm -hmm. And uh, today we have a pretty fun topic um, that we're going to dive into, talking about baptism today. Yeah. now, baptism is something that uh, for many Christians probably does um, seem pretty trivial, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as we'll soon discover, um, deep, man. It, we're taking on a topic that we can nowhere near cover in Amen. totality in one episode, but we're going to do our best. Yeah. And uh, in our partnership classes at church, uh, one of the reasons we chose this topic is because it is something that comes up a lot in, in those partnership classes as far as differing opinions about it. Yep. Um, so we're just going to dive right in today, Jason, and uh, help us out define baptism for us. Absolutely. And of course, when we talk about a topic like baptism, uh, we want to do it understanding that there may be context outside of the, the church and outside of Christ. It, this word it's is it's a, it's a cultural word as well as a Christian word. We're going to be looking at the context of the Christian faith. And so I would simply define it. This is just a Jason definition, so forgive Good me if Jason you don't love it. But I would uh, define it as a uh, post-salvation event in which someone publicly declares their connection to the body of Christ and their submission to the salvation of Christ, the lordship of Christ, um, by being dunked into a body of water. So it's something you do after you believe, and you're showing all of your brothers and sisters in Christ that, hey, this is real for me, and I want everyone to know. There you go. There you go. Yeah. The Jason definition, and that's the episode. All right, we'll Done. see. You. We'll see Over. you guys. <laughs> um, we just we just live by Jason's definitions. <laughs> that would no, be really scary. If it that were true. would be super scary <laughs> because they're wrong a lot. <laughs> based on uh, 
Based on how you define things sometimes. <laughs> See, Jason has four kids, so sometimes his brain is just in daddy brain and yeah. it just, yeah. You know, Plus, yeah. I, I, I watch way too many movies and read too many comic books, so my whole view on reality is just very skewed all the time. It's, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. You got to add some spice to life sometimes. That's right. That's right. Um, but, okay, so so that's our context yeah. um, as far as baptism is concerned as a church. Um, but, um, like I was just saying, in, in our partnership classes, a lot of times we do have people that have uh, different backgrounds, different mm-hmm. from our church. We're definitely not the only church, even remotely, um, even in this city alone. Yeah. And so, um, what? Dive into that a little bit. There's other contexts for baptism. It, it, does baptism change? Does it? What is it? When, when you look at the fact that the big C church is so divided over this issue, and there are so many practices connected to this issues and ways that this the the event of baptism is expressed it really to me comes down to what does baptism mean and and what method do you want to use so it comes down to to meaning and method and the different churches in this city and around the world they really can hold different opinions on the meaning and the method of baptism okay okay so there's there's these two sides to the coin uh, meaning and method um so uh as we're sounds kind of loaded a little bit yeah um (laughs) It is. It sounds like something perfectly set up for controversy, um, which we don't care for at all. We're we're not dramatic. We're not fun and get into controversy. But um, so let's start with meaning. Okay. Let's let's dive into that first, and maybe that can even help set up a lot of the the methods conversation as well. Yeah. Um, So what, Pastor Oakery? As you can tell, this is a podcast with what I believe is the worship leader of this church with the senior pastor. My only question is, are we going to get our scuba diving certificate after this? Because there's a lot of diving that's going on. Yeah, well, I guess. It's, but wh- where are they diving? You know, if they were diving into scripture, kudos to them. But and in fact, what they've set up at this point is, here's what I think baptism is. Here's baptism in a nutshell, which was straight down the line Baptist post-salvation event that shows your commitment to Christ by getting fully wet in the water. Well, yes, that is the Baptist view, up and down. But it's it's just a pious opinion. I mean, even as the way they've set it up, it's just a pious opinion. And then they're just like, well, it's just a bunch of pious opinions down around there. I'm assuming that maybe as we get into the weeds a little bit, they're going to be like, well, see, here's all these pious opinions, but here's why we're the right pious opinion. This is garbage thinking. And, 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 God save us from thinking this way. When the Bible speaks, when people speak God's word, they're just like, this is the word of the Lord. Okay. It, this isn't me. And, and when you, when you encounter some of these prophets who are, who engage with the word of the Lord, I don't want to say that. I don't want to do that. That's actually awful. Can you spare me that Lord? And God's like, Nope, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. And you know, I think about John eating the scroll and it tasted sweet in his mouth, but bitter in his stomach and that's uh you know sometimes preaching the word can feel that way sure uh, or jeremiah ezekiel isaiah they all have this time when they're just like i cannot do this jeremiah's maybe one of the best because he's just he gets raked across the, the coals it's just he has to do so many horrible things he his isn't his life and his body become living visual examples of God's wrath. He's like, this is what's coming. And it's like Jeremiah's body's living it out. I was like, oh, I'm I'm grateful to God 
that I'm called to a task that is not that severe. <laughs> yeah, nobody's favorite verse comes from the book of Lamentations. Uh, not that I know of, no. <laughs> but back on track, when we start turning this into just we have different opinions on this, that's a, a very poor way of thinking. And In fact, it's garbage thinking, but it is the way that the world wants us to think about these things. It's the way Satan wants us to think about this. Well, you've got your opinion about baptism and I've got mine. No, there's God's word and what it says, and everything else is wrong. Yeah, let all men be liars. Yeah. And so if we're going to wrestle with this issue, let's not use silly man-made analogies or our pious opinions or anything else. Let's go. Let's dive into God's word, read it, and it is written, and then you make the case. You, let's, look at, let's look at Romans 6 together, and you tell me why I'm supposed to think that's symbolic language. Because it's not. You scoff, and you should, because it's not symbolic at all. And so this is the challenge. And I want our listeners to know, I believe baptism is God coming to us and putting his name on us and adopting us into his family and bringing us forgiveness, life, and salvation. That is not my pious opinion. That's what God's word says, and that's why I believe it. And that's why baptism is better than these guys are making it. And it is so sad that they are trying to, again, diminish it, even as they're trying to encourage people to do it. And this is the sad thing. They're getting to the point I was making. Lots of Christians don't think baptism is a big deal. Why would you think it's a big deal if the best thing you can say about it is that it's just an outward sign of an inward act? We, we, are, we have been disciplined to care about the internalization of our faith. And especially in these circles— I mean, here's the crazy thing. We love baptism. It is this outward, it's this outward objective reality that, that exists beyond who you are and, and your feelings about it and, and all of these and, and, and your mixed up sinfulness. It, it, it exists apart from that. And that's why we can say, remember your baptism. We don't, don't remember it like somehow the feelings you work up about it make it matter, but remember it because that happened to you and it's true and it's real and that means something for your life today even though you feel like garbage even though you feel completely unworthy of god's love remember that god came to you in your baptism and said to you you are forgiven you are worthy heaven is your home and that remembrance of baptism in the lutheran context which is the biblical context is this tremendous comfort that helps us to endure this life they've got none of that what does baptism mean to to these different groups? Absolutely. Out of the two, the meaning and the method, the, the meaning is, in my opinion, way, way more important. Um, yeah. If you have a different method and hold to the same meaning as, as we do as a church family, um, there's really, it's, it's very marginal, you know, it's yeah. very marginal. But, okay. but if it means something, if, the, if this event, this act means something different, that can be significant. Now, I do want to kind of, Pretext is saying if you hold to a different meaning of baptism than we do at Ignite, we still consider you brothers and sisters. We believe that all those who call on the name of the Lord are saved. So it's salvation by belief in Christ. And so if you have a different meaning, we're not saying you're not a Christian. Um, But I do think meaning is important. Really, there are three large groups of 
in my opinion, meaning about baptism. So you have people okay. like us at, at Ignite that would say that um, what baptism means, this is this is a public declaration for someone who's already been saved. It is what this event means is I want the world to know that Christ has already worked a salvific work in my heart, and okay. I'm, I'm, I'm submitting myself to this event to make public declaration. So we view mm-hmm. it similarly to when a couple's in love. They've already given one another their hearts. They decide to get married. They are publicly declaring that their hearts are as one. Makes um, sense. You know, so putting a ring on somebody's finger doesn't make you married. There's this love relationship and this connection has already happened that that's yeah. celebrating uh, yeah. is how we view it. It's like they're reading from the same script. Use the wedding ring analogy to explain baptism. One, this is non-biblical, and that is a problem. If we're going to talk about baptism, let's quit using analogies alone. Let's actually look at God's Word and what it has to say, which is exactly what the small catechism does. Every single one of those questions, those sections in, in the small catechism on baptism, has a quote from Scripture in it, from Matthew, from Mark, from Romans, and from Titus. What it's saying is, we're, we're taking this seriously and we're taking it from Scripture. Not, not, a, not a single time does Luther simply give an analogy and say, well, see, there you go. This analogy is, is what you should hang your hat on. Even if he were to use an analogy, he's always grounding that analogy in God's Word. Instead of just making an analogy to make his predetermined point, this is the problem. And, and, this, and again, this analogy is awful. That's the second thing. It doesn't line up. You can't talk about a thing that you can't see being just like a thing you can see. You can't talk about an object that you carry with you being the same thing as an action that happened to you at some point in the past. It just doesn't work, and yet they keep doing it. Well, the next guy, he doesn't use the wedding ring analogy, but he still stays in the same wheelhouse of the ring. Hey, well, welcome everyone to uh, Black Hawk Church. My name is Matt Metzger, and uh, I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team. I oversee our downtown location of our church, and uh, man, welcome, welcome. If you are if you are new here, maybe you're kind of new to coming around Black Hawk. Maybe you came last week for Easter, and you enjoyed the different things that went on with the service. You decided to give it another shot. Or maybe you are uh, in one of our venues, and uh, you are here because there is a friend of yours in this service, friend or family member who is being baptized today. And uh, man, welcome. We are so glad you're here. Welcome. So welcome to everyone at the gallery across the hall. Welcome to everyone in our traditions venue. Welcome to everyone in our Chinese venue. Welcome to all of you. What's up, Fitchburg? What's up, downtown? My people. Man, we are so glad that you are all here. And obviously, like all of you live in the room right now, glad that you're here right now. So man, Baptism Sundays are, uh, in all honesty, they're one of my favorite Sundays of the year. And if you are new, I think you're really going to enjoy this because rather than having me or one of the guys from the teaching team get up here and give a sermon for a long time, instead, uh, you're going to get to hear real life stories of people from our church, all different ages and stages of life uh, who have come to the place in their life where they've accepted Jesus Christ and him alone for their salvation. And today they're going to be baptized. But before we get to the dunkings, uh, what I'd love to do is to do a little bit of, uh, of pastoral show and tell. If that's all right, are you okay with that? Why do I even ask? Like, like if you said no, I'm going to do it anyway. So we're going to we're going to do this. Um, so I brought with me today. Um, I brought with me a ring. 
that I wanted to show you. But this is, this is not just any ring. If you notice, it's a ring that covers my finger from knuckle to knuckle. I don't know if you can get a, like a good close-up shot of that right now. But if you can't, we actually, we can put it on the screens um, and show you this ring. Um, and I think for some of you, you're going to know exactly what this is as you start to see the pictures of this particular ring. Now, for some of you, you might have no idea what this is. And, uh, and for those of you who don't, you might be saying to yourself, what on earth is that? And so I want to share a story with you. So a lot of you know right now, we are at the very end of March Madness. So the um, men's Division I basketball tournament that lasts a few different weekends where, and I'm guessing that if you've partaken in that, your bracket is toast at this point. And uh, tomorrow night, we will watch UNC play Villanova in the finals and see what happens there. Any Villanova fans in the room? Awesome. There's one in the front row. That's fantastic. Any UNC fans in the room? Wow, okay, all right, the same guy in the front row. Dude, I don't know, I wanna see your bracket later, buddy. So we've got some issues. <laughs> that was so amazing. So, um, you know, um, and uh, around Blackhawk, we, um, man, we love the University of Wisconsin. And, uh, and we love our sports teams here. We love the men's basketball team here. And uh, we were so stoked with the way they ended up doing the season, the way they turned things around, ended up making it to the Sweet 16. That was absolutely incredible. From Blackhawk Church, welcome, Coach Guard. We're so glad, man. You did such a great job this year. Um, and, uh, and it was awesome to watch that. But for a lot of us, this, is, this time right now is the one-year anniversary of something that happened around Madison that was pretty amazing. I mean, like, do you remember this time last year and everything that took place with the team? For those of you who don't know, I want to share the story. So last year's basketball team just had an amazing season that not a lot of teams get to experience. They had an incredible season, and, uh, and they made it into the NCAA tournament, the 64-team single elimination tournament. A lot of people say that you can have whatever season you want, but the season really begins at the time of March Madness when the tournament really begins. And we went into the tournament with a really high seed, but in the tournament, everyone knows, you never know what's going to take place, right? Because there are upsets all over the place that happen in this tournament. But sure enough, in the tournament, we just kept winning game after game after game until finally we made it into the final four. The final weekend, which was this time last year, which was amazing in itself. And, uh, but the problem was in our semifinal game, we were having to, we, we drew having to play the university of Kentucky, dun, 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 you know? Now, if anybody remembers anything about University of Kentucky last year, man, they, they were unbelievable. They had gone undefeated the entire season. A lot of different commentators were saying, like, this could have been the best team that college basketball has ever seen. I mean, as soon as the season was over, it was like the whole starting lineup went, was drafted to the NBA. The entire bench went to the NBA, like the ball boy, the guy who washes the uniform, all drafted to the NBA. They all just went, you know? And this was the team we were gonna have to play in the semifinals. But on a year ago, last night, the University of Kentucky stepped onto the court against the University of Wisconsin. And well, let's just say, the Wildcats ended up falling to the alluring power of the Badgers, all sites and venues. Can I get an amen right now? <laughs> Come on. Now, now, do you remember that moment? 
I mean, for some of you, you remember that moment. I mean, like, like I'll never forget, I mean, the celebration that happened in our home when the ta- that took place. I'll never forget this day last year. There was more badger red at church than I had ever seen in my life. That was Easter Sunday last year. It was, people were saying like, Christ is risen, go badgers, was the line in everybody's <laughs> mind that was going, that was coming to church. And it was amazing. And then t- like tomorrow night last year, uh, you know, we went into the finals and we lost to Duke, but we're not going to focus on that at all, you know, because the thing we want to focus on is the amazing ride that these guys took us on last year. It was just absolutely incredible. And at the end of it all, when they got home, all of the guys on the team got one of these rings to commemorate the moment, to commemorate something that they had lived through, to have a way to be able to remember and experience something that had taken place in their Lives. You see, in some ways, this ring really parallels in a lot of ways the thing that we're going to see here today on Baptism Sunday. You see, because in the same way that this ring symbolizes something, it's an external sign of something that they were able to live in the same way. We're going to see a bunch of people from our church today who have placed their faith in Jesus and him alone in their lives. Something has taken place. Their lives have been transformed by the message of Jesus. And now is an external sign of something that's taken place in their lives. They're going to be baptized today. Is baptism the thing that saves them? Absolutely not. Baptism is an external sign of a change that's taken place. Baptism, baptism does not save them in the same way that this ring is not the thing that got those guys into the final game. No, it was after they lived what they lived. They were given this. In the same way, baptism is an external sign of an internal reality, something that's taken place. And we're going to get to see people baptized in just a moment. But for those of us who are here in all of our sites, all of our venues watching this right now, like what are we supposed to get from a service? Well, some of you who are here, and this happens in in all of our different venues, man, some of you, like you haven't come to the place of ever accepting Christ as your savior. You're, You're new to coming around here. You're kicking the tires. Maybe you've decided you really don't buy into it at all. Maybe you're a family member or a, a friend or you've just started coming. And, uh, and you're not exactly sure even what it is that you believe. And you come into a service like this for baptism and you say, what's that all about? You know, like it's not every week that you come to church and you see people who get dunked underwater. You know, kind of in the same way that for some of you, when we put this ring on the screen... You looked at it and maybe you didn't live in Wisconsin last year. You know, maybe you live somewhere else in the country, somewhere else around the world, or maybe you did live in Wisconsin, but you're like, I really just don't care about basketball at all. You know, you're one of those people. And you saw this ring and you asked the question, what's that all about? And it gave me the opportunity to share with you a story. You see, today as we go into this message of baptism, You're going to hear story after story of people who have come to the place in their life where they realized they were in need of a savior, that they could not save themselves. And so they ended up placing their faith in Jesus for their salvation. You're going to have the opportunity to hear that story over and over. And we just think that's amazing. Okay, but there's also, there's another crowd who's here. And it's those of you who, man, you have come to the place of accepting Jesus as your savior. And so how's the service really like this supposed to affect you? Well, it goes back to the ring. Because for some of you, when, when we put this ring on the screens, <laughs> you knew exactly what this was. 
You know, I mean, you remember the season. You bought the cut the net t-shirt. You know, you, uh, man, you remember exactly where you were during that Kentucky basketball game. And, uh, and so when you see something like this, when you see, you know, a ring like this, if you were to see someone actually wearing it or see like on a, on a, you know, a bookshelf or something, you would see it and it would bring back all kinds of memories. I mean, when you see something like this, it takes you back to where you go, oh, that's right, that season, that was amazing, what a ride, that was incredible. It just fills you with like encouragement and this feeling of like, man, it is so good to be a badger. You see, in the same way, when we hear the stories of people who have given their lives to Jesus, it reminds us of the God that we serve. It reminds us of God's love and grace that he shows us of Jesus' death and resurrection that paid a penalty for our sins. And it reminds us that that God that we serve, that he is still on the move changing people's lives. And I think that's important for us to remember. Because isn't it true that just in the everyday lives that we live, of our work and the different things, the commitments that we have, for some of us, the families or the people that we end up doing life with, our projects that we have at school, all the different stuff, the tyranny of the urgent that comes at us all the time, it can be so easy to just forget that we have a God who's honestly in the move in people's lives day after day after day. And when we stop and hear these type of stories, it reminds us Man, that God is on the move all together at Blackhawk today at all of our different services. So we already did this at the service right before this. We'll be doing this all day long. We're going to see over 80 people will be baptized. And some of you, you go, man, that is unbelievable, 80 people. But if you think that's impressive, you gotta go back to the early church. Turn, if you brought your Bibles with you, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter two. And uh, I'm, we're gonna go through this really quick. Acts chapter two um, is, uh, man, just an unbelievable passage of scripture. And in this moment, um, Jesus has already gone to his death. And uh, he has gone to the cross. He has paid the penalty for our sins. He has risen again from the grave. He has appeared now to a bunch of different people. And now he's ascended back to heaven. And he's left behind this small little gathering of people. Scripture says in Acts 2, about 120 in all. And uh, this was the beginning of the church. And, uh, and these people at this particular moment in Acts chapter 2, well, they are gathered together for a festival called Pentecost. And uh, Pentecost was a, um, a Jewish festival that was going on. And as they're gathered in this room together, like there's a miracle that takes place where the Holy Spirit descends upon this group of people, comes upon them, and they begin proclaiming the message of Jesus, but they begin proclaiming this messages, message in other languages that they've never learned. And so as they go out from there, there are people from all around the world there for Pentecost for this festival. And they're hearing this group of people, these group of Jewish people, all speaking different languages. And, uh, and they realize there is something crazy going on. And Peter stands up in this crowd in the midst of this moment. And he gives the very first sermon of the church. He tells these people about Jesus. And as they heard the message of Jesus, it affected the crowd so unbelievably greatly we saw this take place. Verse 37 of chapter two says this. When the people heard this, that is the message of Jesus, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Peter told them two things to do, repent 
and be baptized. Repent. Repent in our day is a word that we think of that seems to mean like to be sorry or sorrowful for the things that, that you do. In actuality, the Greek word for that is a word that means to change or to turn. To change, to change your mind. In other words, to, to go from a place where I am, I am trusting in myself and my ability to live a good life, a better life, so my good outweighs my bad, and I'm trusting in that for my salvation, instead to change my mind to a place where I'm going to place my faith in Jesus and him alone for my salvation. That's what Peter was telling people to do. And that once they did that, then to be baptized. Because baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. Well, that affected the crowd unbelievably greatly. And, uh, and it says in verse 41 of that same passage, it says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I mean, think of that. The little church of 120 just grew from 120 to um, 3,120 in one little shot. See, because the spirit of God was on the move. God is a God who desires to change hearts and lives. And in the same way that he was doing that thousands of years ago, we get to see that today through the stories of people who are coming to make a public declaration of a transformation that's happened in their lives and are going to be baptized. It is an awesome day here. Let me pray for us as we get ready to see people be baptized. Will you pray with me? No, he does not get to pray for us. So what do you think about that? It's a different spin on the wedding ring, but it's nonetheless the same analogy. But it makes it even more trivial and just, it's just awful. But because the evangelical cannot say anything about baptism, he's got to come up with something. So he spins this huge story about the sports analogy and the winning of the ring to say that's what baptism means. I used to feel bad that as Lutherans we didn't we didn't preach as long as sermons like what are we slouches? But then I realized that we give the same amount of content <laughs> in less time and better and more content often besides. I've kind of come around on that just understanding what they're filling that 45 50 minutes with. It's it's a lot of drawn out explanations of something that shouldn't require a drawn out explanation and again if you need to give that much energy to make your point find another way to make your point but how trivial it is it to say belonging to christ is like rooting for your favorite team look i love the jayhawks and they've got all the rings in the world um, they've won the big 12 championship i can't even remember now 14 times in a row 13 something like that some ridiculous number they, they hold the record for consecutive championships in that regard. And, and I mention this because sometimes you'll see a billboard and they'll have all the rings on the billboard to brag about it. And he's basically just saying, oh, your baptism is just something to brag about. This is the second time we've seen this where you, you they read scripture. So I'm grateful that he dove into scripture and I'm, I'm grateful that he actually read it. And he's right. This is what it says. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Now, see, he said it, but he doesn't actually say well, why would it connect that to, to baptism? But then it actually goes on, and he didn't say this. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is specifically connected to baptism. And they're going to say, well, no. They received, the, they received the Holy Spirit when they gave their life over to God. Baptism was just a sideshow to that. 
That's not what Scripture's saying. And then again, just a little bit later, and with many words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. And how do they save themselves? So those who received his word, the proclamation, which the Holy Spirit works through too, were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They have to just skip over those parts. They read them because they're there in, in Scripture. And I'm grateful they did. I mean, it would have been very crass if they just cut it off. But for the forgiveness of sins. And they're just like, well, that's not what it means. Why not? And, and at least let's talk about it. I, but there's just no time and space for that, I guess. That's what's so frustrating. You, you spend 10 minutes talking to me about the Wisconsin Badgers, and you can't give me a minute on why it would say for the forgiveness of sins when it really isn't for the forgiveness of sins. That's garbage, and and I don't I don't want anything to do with it. I, let's talk about what God is actually saying to us here and and, and wrestle with that. And if I, if, I, if I think that is not really what he's talking about, fine, make your case. But they don't do it. That's what's so frustrating is that this analogy is a way to avoid thinking. Even though it's ubiquitous. Even though it's ubiquitous, yes. But sometimes ubiquitous things, that's exactly why they're ubiquitous is because they're just so thoughtless. We, we like to say cliche things. And we don't actually think about the cliche of them. So if someone were to be in their American evangelical church and they were to hear the wedding ring analogy, what would you suggest them to do? Well, they're teaching against scripture, so leave and go find a faithful Lutheran church and become a member there. I mean, that's what I would advise they do. Uh, if you're not quite that at that place, even though you should be, flee false preaching, um, Go and talk to your pastor and challenge him and say, you said this. That doesn't really make sense to me. The scripture you read to me today says that this is for the forgiveness of sins. Why didn't we talk about that? Let's be in God's word. You know, I want to say this. Lutherans can be just as vulnerable to telling stories and sermons and things like that. And, and sometimes the story is barely attached to what you're actually trying to say. And, and sometimes even if your story does attach to what you're trying to say, the congregation will leave remembering the story more than they remember what you were trying to say. That's always the danger with these kind of analogies. Now, I mean, I think an analogy like this sticks. Again, it's just so deeply flawed that you just need to throw it in the trash. And, and this, this analogy, to support false teaching, it needs to go away. But it's also just garbage, so it needs to go away. So if you're an evangelical or a Baptist and you aren't ready to, you firmly believe that it is baptism is purely symbolic and an act of obedience, here's my challenge to you. At least come up with a better analogy. And, uh, and we'll keep preaching the truth of God. You've been listening to the Plucked Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors John Bruss and Devin Kern. To discover more, go to thepluckedchicken.com or stjohnlcmstopeka.org.